Greetings. Welcome to In Conversation with Trevor, brought to you by Heart and Soul Broadcasting Services. I go beyond the headlines and beyond the sensational. Today I'm in conversation with Pamela Marisa, a registered psychologist and registered counselor. If you enjoy this conversation, remember to subscribe, to like, and share. Let's get down to some work. Pamela Marisa, welcome to In Conversation with Trevor. Thank you, Trevor. It's an honor to be here, and uh, thank you for having me. It's a pleasure having you. Pamela, what you do is so important for this nation. Because as far as I'm concerned, what Pamela Marisa and uh, my good pastor, Pastor Marisa, is nation building. Nation building is very important, particularly for, uh, for Zimbabwe, given where we are right now. And I believe that nation building starts with the individual, then the family, and then society, then the school. And what you're doing with marriages, with uh, counseling around that, families, and teenage counseling is so important because we do need um, uh, that, those support structures to be able to build, to build a nation. Yeah. So well done for the work that you are you are doing, Thank you. particularly um, um, Pamela, as the co-founder and operations director for College of Marriage, uh, Parenting and Family. You are also co-founder uh, and operations director for tra the Transformation Team. Talk to me about what you do at the College of Marriage, Parenting and Family. Okay. So College of Marriage, it's, uh, it's our sister company, the core uh, company's transformation team. Right. So with transformation team, it's more like the creative side uh, where we offer, you know, uh, counseling, we offer emotional wellness seminars to corporates. But we realized that um, most of the issues that we're facing, even in the counseling rooms, they come from the family. So it was birthed out of that uh, need to see to say that you know we need to have a probably a preventative approach. So College of Marriage is more of the preventative approach to dealing with the issues that are in our communities, in our families. Um, so mainly we focus on training, uh, family building. We offer you know courses like uh, parenting uh, courses. We offer. Uh, marriage courses, and then we also offer family therapy. Mm. So that's what uh, College of Marriage is all about. Tell me, I mean, marriages are so important. Um, what issues do you come across that tend to poison, to affect, to put pressure on the marriages? What issues are you coming across? Okay, thank you, Trevor. Uh, I think there's a lot of pressure uh, on, on our families. Mainly, a lot of families are disintegrating, I'm sure you are aware that most people, they are migrating, maybe mm. going to the diaspora. So our families are disintegrated. And uh, unfortunately, they, a, a lot of issues on uh, infidelity. Mm. Those are main um, one of the main issues that we come across in the counseling rooms, infidelity. And unfortunately, I must say it's on both sides, you know, both the men and the women, uh, you know, infidelity issues are huge. Can, can a marriage be cured? 
once there's been infidelity? Can it be served once there's been infidelity? Definitely, definitely. It just takes uh, the commitment from both parties. If they are committed and they are willing to work on the marriage, we've seen a lot of marriages being restored. What, what's, what would be the key component there? Is it is it uh, forgiveness? Uh, what, what, what was the key ingredient for that to um, happen? Definitely forgiveness uh, on the part of the person, uh, you know, maybe the one, uh, the partner was cheated. If they are willing to show uh, fruit of repentance mm. and uh, also if they, you know, they work on building whatever issues that may have contributed to the deterioration of that marriage. And one of the things that we always say when we're counseling couples is that, um, you know, we've realized that when people stray, it's because there are certain needs in the marriage that are not being met. So one of the things that we teach couples is to identify, you know, what your important needs for your spouses, and then you are more intentional about meeting those needs. Because if those needs are met within the marriage, uh, you are less likely to be tempted to stray mm. because the needs are being met. So we encourage couples to be intentional, uh, meeting each other's needs. Right. And also give them tools on how to affair-proof their marriages. Mm. Because sometimes you find maybe one of the partners does not have healthy boundaries with the opposite sex. Mm. And uh, that's one of the causes that may lead to infidelity. Mm. What are the problems, apart from infidelity, that are affecting uh, marriages? I think uh, also fi uh, financial pressures. Mm -hmm. uh, if couples do not handle well the financial pressures, you know, uh, you know, things can be difficult financially. And yeah, so I think also that uh, can put a strain on the marriage. And uh, sometimes it's about uh, uh, in-laws, extended families, if you fail to handle those and fail to set boundaries mm. that can also contribute to problems in marriages. Mm. Well, you and I were having a conversation um, last week, and you, you, you raised something which uh, I, I didn't think affected marriage, misogyny in the marriage as, 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 as a factor that causes uh, uh, the marriages to rupture. Talk to me about that and what you're coming across. Okay, misogyny, it's a term that is not very familiar to most people. But maybe to just bring it down, yeah. it's just a, a man who's maybe narcissistic, very controlling, insensitive, and over the over time of you know during the course of the marriage, sometimes the the woman you know uh, realizes that you know this is not what I signed up for, and uh, maybe she may even lose her self esteem, and she realizes that you know I don't know who I am anymore in this relationship, and usually that's when mainly the women come in for counseling and they're not even sure what's going on. And when you use, usually a psychologist will use checklists and then when you ask them, uh, does he do this? Does he do that? You know, is he, you know, uh, competing for your attention with other people in your life, your children? Uh, is he controlling? And they tick yes to probably 10 of those questions. Then we can uh, confirm that you are in a misogynistic relationship where, you know, the man is over-controlling. Over Can that be dealt with and, and, and uh, rectified? Yes. And usually I always say every relationship is like a dance. You find that most African men will not come for therapy because, I don't know, I don't know, it's a culture thing and, you know, sitting down and having a stranger speak to you, they don't come. But I always say even to my female clients, you can change the dynamics of the relationship even by yourself. Because, uh, Trevor, every relationship is like a dance. 
And when one person changes the dance, the other person is forced to, ch to change. Imagine if you're playing uh, dancing to Kwasa Kwasa and then suddenly you're putting ballroom uh, world's music. The, dance, the other partner has yeah, to respond. Yeah, the yeah. other partner has to change. Uh, so usually it's just equipping the women, empowering them, helping them to set their boundaries. And if their husband or the partner values the relationship, uh, usually they, they, they will change because then they realize uh, the wife you know, is serious and she's not bluffing. One of the th things that I found that is uh, a challenge is when people set boundaries and then they don't enforce them. The, the other partner knows, oh, no, you know, she'll come around, she's bluffing. But when you actually say, you know, the next time you raise your hand at me, I'm going to the police. And you actually go to the police. Mm. Or the next time you do this um, or you, you are in, unfaithful, I'm going to pack my bags and I'm going to leave. So now you find the men are the one who are coming and say, oh, please, counselor, please, you know, my wife has left me, please, you know, can we come for counseling? And when it's gotten to the breaking yes, point. Yes, yeah. yes. And, mm. and I always tell the, the wife, mm. call the shots, tell the, the, your partner the boundaries that this is this I will tolerate, this mm. I will not tolerate. Mm. And usually, yes, um, misogynists can change. You know, the, the, my marriage changed when God said to me, you are kneeling down and praying that God should change your wife. It's you who needs to change. Wow, wow. That's, that's <laughs> When powerful. that happened, when I realized that actually I should be praying and say, Lord, change me and not Lord, change my wife. That, that's, so I agree with you. It's, yeah. it's a dance that involves two people. But we tend to think it's the other person that needs to change yeah. and not me. And when I changed, my marriage changed. Yeah, that's very true. That's very true. And uh, it's good that you've raised that up. And one of the things that we <clears throat> uh, also share with couples is that sometimes we have what we call enabling behavior. We enable the other person mm. to abuse us, mm. you know, by not setting boundaries. So that's one of the books that I'll recommend that every couple needs to read. What uh, book is that? Uh, boundaries. Yeah. Uh, I think it's a book that was written by two psychologists, yeah. Dr. Henry Cloud and Dr. John Townsend. Yes. Yes. So it's. I think yeah. my wife has got that book, but I haven't read it yet. Yeah, you should. It's, it's a good read. What about financial? Is it psychological bullying? Uh, financial bullying? Does that is that does that term exist? Or those terms exist? Do they happen within a marriage? Yes, it's also a form of abuse. You know, yeah. uh, abuse comes in in all shapes and sizes. Normally, when we think about abuse, we just think about uh, physical abuse, but they can also be. Uh, uh, emo uh, emotional abuse and financial abuse and uh, over making the other person be over-responsible for everything. You know, either way, there are other men who, mm. who do not, you know, uh, put in anything. You know, they depend, allow the woman to do everything. Uh, not merely because they're not working, even if they are, you know. So there's also responsibility abuse. And yeah, so it is possible to... Uh, have financial abuse mm. in their relationship. For, from where you sit, Pamela, with all the experience that you have, if I asked you in what condition our, our collective marriage is in, what would you say? I would say most of them, like we also talk about uh, your marriage being in intensive care, yeah. HDU, yeah. in the ward. Yeah, I would say maybe 50% of marriages are in HDU. Wow. Yeah. And what, do you expl what explains that in your view? 
what I, I realize is that people do not have tools. You know, when people, uh, people do not prepare adequately for marriage. That's why we started yeah. College of Marriage, Parenting and Family Affairs, you know, to try and also, uh, you know, pre do the preventative side. Uh, most people just, you know, you get your marriage certificate when you haven't passed any exam, you know. So most people are not prepared. People prepare. I mean, uh, lawyers, it takes maybe seven years to be a lawyer. It takes seven years to be a doctor. Um, but when it comes to marriage, people are just nonchalant about it. And they just think, you know, Im immediately they'll know what to do. So we realize a lot of couples, they don't have the basic tools that are needed for a m marriage, you know, to 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 be successful. And one of the things that we always say, uh, my husband and I, when are working with couples, is that love without the tools to help you navigate the issues that arise in a marriage is not enough mm. to sustain that marriage. We've seen people who love each other, but divorcing mm. because they don't have the tools, conflict resolution tools, communication tools, and they're not, they're, they're not aware even maybe of each other's uh, strength or weaknesses, personality, love languages, and you can really see that there's a gap there. So I think it's a lack of preparation for most couples. It, it, it does premarital counseling help? Um, and I go back to my mm. premarital counseling with my wife and I look mm. at what we went through. Was that useful at all? D does it help? Does premarital counseling help? I think it's, it's the quality of right. the premarital. Because most of us, like you, uh, it was done hurriedly, like a few weeks before the wedding. We wanted the to certificate. Tick, yeah, to tick the boxes. And while, meanwhile, you're thinking about your gown. You're thinking about, you know, my makeup for the wedding. You're not really paying attention. So we encourage couples, once you know you're now in a serious relationship, even a year before, you know, the wedding date, start going through the course. And we have an intensive, like, 15-week course where we also give you assessments. Mm. You know, what are your worldviews on money? You fill those in separately. Uh, what are your personalities? You know, do personality, it's intensive. And then when they exchange the notes, they're surprised like, oh, I didn't realize this is where you're coming from, you know? Because I don't know, sometimes couples don't ask each other the mm. right questions when they're dating. The difficult conversations. Yes, the difficult conversations. And you'll yeah. be surprised. Like one one couple will be like, ah, I thought you knew that my career is important. We're not having children. right?" But when did we know? talk about it? And they never <laughs> talked about it. Like, so what were you talking about? Yeah. So we make sure that we have those like those difficult conversations and it's intentional. And so you'll find a lot of couples that have gone through that premarital course, 15 weeks intensive, um, you know, they have less problems. And most of them, they come back and thank us and like, oh, that thing that, you know, you prepared us for, it happened. And we're glad that we That's went through important. this and we knew what to do. So it's a premarital marriage that, a course rather, that lasts for 15 weeks. Yes. Okay. Yes. Well, I hope a lot of people are listening out there. Pamela, we're going to take a break here. When we come back, we're going to deep dive into a survey that you did on um, uh, the youth, uh, the, the battles that they have with, uh, with technology, drugs, abuse, drug abuse, and so forth. But, but also to go to the exciting career that you have, that after 14 years as a microbiologist, you decided to change and go into uh, counseling and, and become a, a psychologist. So at home, please don't go away. We will come back and deep dive on uh, those interesting issues. See you on the other side. Your significance, your security, your self-worth should come from God.
Welcome back to our conversation with Pamela Marisa, um, a registered psychologist and registered counselor. So fascinating thing about you is, is that, uh, and I couldn't just uh, um, put my head around this, that after practicing as a microbiologist for 14 years, you decided to change course yep. and get into what you're doing right now. Talk to us about why that change. Were you not enjoying being a microbiologist, which you studied for? Yes, definitely. I was no longer enjoying it. And I think it speaks to our education system. I don't think I got uh, any career guidance. Now, when I look back, you know, it's, I think it's very unfair that at the age of 14, you are being, uh, you know, someone is choosing a career path for you. Yeah. Um, like I remember I was in this first stream. So naturally from three, I had to do sciences, chemistry, biology, and, and, and physics. But I also enjoyed history. I enjoyed, you know, literature. I was also good at that. And, uh, but uh, you immediately, you know, when you're going to form three, uh, someone is choosing a career path for you and you're still young, you're 14. You haven't really decided. And now when I look back, I th- I, I'm always saying, you know, I didn't really have to do physics and chemistry <laughs> to be a psychologist. It's a social science. Yeah. I could have done it with history and geography. Um, so that's what happened. And th- during those days, I went to school in the 80s. It was prestigious, you know, to become a doctor or a lawyer or a pharmacist. Microbiologist. I mean, uh, yeah. you have arrived. So uh, microbiology w- was like a default, you know, setting, like... I wanted to be a pharmacist, so I didn't get enough points, and mm. that's what I thought I wanted. So in the end, I ended up uh, studying bio, laboratory technology, being a laboratory scientist. Yeah. And um, and you, you studied at uh, the Bulawayo uh, Polytechnic yes. and the Harare uh, Polytechnic. Talk to us about that. You see, yeah, that's uh, I had to do that because I didn't have enough points to you know, to do uh, pharmacy. And I didn't want to just be given any other, you know, degree. So I decided to do something closer to the subject I'd been studying. So that was the bio laboratory technology, and it was offered at the polytechnic. And then for my H&D, I did food science and technology. And remember, in the 80s, 90s, a diploma or an H&D was almost equivalent to a degree. So you would still get a very good job yeah, yeah. Uh, with a diploma. So, yeah, so that's what happened. Um, and so, yes, after, you know, completing my studies, I worked in a medical lab uh, for a bit. And then I went to Unilever. And during those days, uh, Unilever was the company of choice. It still is. <laughs> Everybody wanted to work for Unilever. So the money was good. I couldn't complain. But I realized it wasn't my passion. It became monotonous and mm. mundane. I didn't enjoy it anymore. Salary was good, but you didn't enjoy it anymore. Yes. So which shows money is not, a, not a, a motivator. Yeah. So I realized that wasn't my dream. And I think I was also growing uh, in the Lord and, uh, you know, seeking my purpose. Then I realized, you know, I was good with people. People would come to me at work, you know, people felt safe to share with me their problems. And I realized I didn't have the skills, you know. I could listen, I could empathize, but I realized that I had nothing to offer. So whilst I was still at Unilever, I I, I remember praying, you know, that I wanted to find a place where I could train to be a Christian counselor. 
And I had no idea, you know, I didn't know where the Christian Counseling Center was. But one day when I was dropping off my son at preschool, um, I decided to, you know, walk into, uh, was, he was going at a, a preschool where, uh, it was a Christian preschool, I think Faith Ministries yeah. in uh, Emerald Hill. So for some reason that day I was early, so I walked into, you know, into the reception area and there was a flyer written mm -hmm. Christian Counseling Center and they were offering a basic counseling skill. So I was so excited. And I decided to enroll for that course. And when I did the basic counseling course, I realized this is what I'd been looking for. I was so excited. And then I, I didn't look back. Uh, they were offering after that an intermediate course and an advanced course. So um, uh, by the time I did the advanced, I was now literally praying to be retrenched. <laughs> And I, yes, and I always say I apologize for all the people <laughs> who were retrenched, you know, in the year that I was retrained at around 2010. I, and I said, because maybe probably it was an answer to my prayer. I did. I realized I couldn't just quit because we're now three children in private schools. So, you know, and you're depending on both salaries. So I didn't have that luxury of just quitting. So my prayer was that. Lord, I want to be retrenched so I can now pursue my dream. And you got you got retrenched? Yes, I got retrenched. Got your and package? It, it, yeah, it was a healthy package. So I could afford to, you know, not to change your lifestyle. This, the kids still continued going, you know, to their schools. And I went back to school. And by the time I got retrenched, I was finishing my advanced counseling course with the Christian Counseling Center. So that's why I registered first as a counselor. And then I didn't stop there. I decided to go back to school. And now at the age of 40 and do an undergrad in psychology, Women's University. And I absolutely loved wow. it. And having had a background, remember in pure sciences, having had studied uh, biology and chemistry, it, it wasn't so hard. So I passed with the first class, not because I was competing with anyone, but I just literally loved what it. I was doing. And uh, what also motivated me even to get the first class was like someone told me that uh, Econet, uh, they give um, a scholarships of uh, academic excellence, the Joshua Nkomo scholarship, you know, to 20 students who have high uh, uh, GPA points, you know. So I was averaging around 3.5. So I applied in my second year. And so that motivated me to keep working. Did you get working. the scholarship? Yes, I did. Wow. So yes. that's the scholarship that enabled you to do your BSc honors in psychology. Yes. With, again, with the Women's with University. Women's University. So by the time I finished, I was no longer paying. I just had to keep up the grades. Mm -hmm. Yes. And then you went to do Christian counseling. How long did you do that for? The Christian counseling was about uh, two and a half years. That's the one I did whilst I was still, you know, wow. at Unilever. It was a diploma. So that was about two and a half years. And then so when, when you look at your that season when you're a mic microbiologist and what you're doing now, do you have any regrets at all? What goes through your mind? Not really. I think everything that you learn in life, you those skills, um, you know, critical reasoning skills and even how to interact with people and uh, management skills, because Unilever was huge on training. So we did a lot of uh um, manage, uh, management um, uh, training. training. So all that, I think it's something that you always carry in life. You can always it up, apply mm. it in mm. different contexts. Mm. What was the experience of uh, uh, Christian counseling like for you? Oh, it was amazing. Mm. Talk I, to me about I like that. how they bring the word of God even to psychological principles. Um, you know, so 
and the one thing about the Christian Counseling Center, they don't impose, you know, on, on their clients, but they're unapologetic that, you know, it is a, a Christian Counseling Center and we use biblical principles. Mm -hmm. So there's one powerful model that we use, which is called five circles, mm -hmm. you know, to say as a human being, we operate in five circles. So you are a physical being. And, you know, usually when you come in, we'll ask you to do a physical checklist. Maybe even if you're coming and saying you're depressed, you want to find out what's happening at a physical level. Then we look at your emotions, your emotional patterns, because our emotions, they tell us something about our goals. Yeah. And then we look at uh, your behavior patterns. And then we look at uh, your thinking patterns, you know, faulty thinking patterns. We all have negative uh, tapes that we play to ourselves. We explore that. We'll be using checklists. And then we look at the spiritual circle. And when we talk about the spiritual circle, we, we realize that all those behavior patterns at the core, every human being is the same. Those behavior patterns, it's either you're looking for significance, security, or self-worth. Mm. You know, the people-pleasing social climbing, uh, you know, it's either you're looking for security, people please us, maybe you're, you may not be aware that your deepest fear is rejection. So we're trying to, you know, why is it that you can't say no, you know, because you don't want to upset anyone, because maybe in your childhood or something that happened you, in the past, yeah. your greatest fear. So it's just helping people to realize where their behaviors are coming from. Mm. And we normally turn them mm. to Christ to say, your significance, your security, your self-worth should come from God. Because if it comes from, you know, other things like your material things, you feel significant if you're, you know, driving the latest, uh, I don't know, I'm not a fan of the car. The latest but, car. And then, but the moment someone comes with a later version or a better model, you now feel insignificant. Mm. Which brings me, takes me back to that issue of nation building is centered around the individual. And I get the sense, correct me if I'm wrong, that as a nation, we do not spend time emphasizing the importance of personal growth. Yeah. Is that your sense? Yes, very true, very true. What should we be doing? Uh, I think raising more awareness. Like for me, I'll speak uh, as a counselor, as a psychologist, yeah. because I always say 50% of the work that we do in therapy is self-awareness. 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 You, you need to be aware, like... What are my thinking patterns and why do I behave the way that I do? Some, some of it has to do with unresolved childhood traumas that you never dealt with. So it's important. And uh, when, you, when we have the best version of you, you know, even in, in, in a marriage, I always say, you know what, if you have the best version of your wife or your husband, you're going to enjoy Absolutely. that relationship better. But uh, do we spend enough time with ourselves to know who we are? And what's the best way of doing that? I think the key word here is being intentional. Because we live very busy lives and uh, some people, maybe because of our backgrounds, we think when we're exercising self-care, you know, we're being selfish. So being intentional, just prioritizing yourself, having self-care, you know, having me time. Spending time with yourself. With yourself, yeah. you know. Getting yeah. to know yourself. Getting to know yourself. Who am I? Yeah. And once we're on that, I also want to just, uh, you know, emphasize that you don't have to come for therapy when you are in a crisis. You can just come for self-awareness, you know. Here, here. Yeah, I yeah. want to know what what is my personality type because some of the clashes you're having in your workplaces or with your spouses is because it's a clash of personality. When you realize, oh, he's a choleric, he's strong-willed or, you know, and this is how I should handle it. 
you have emotional intelligence, you can learn how to manage your emotions and how to read them in others. Because if you are poor at reading your own emotions, how are you going to read them in others? So self-awareness is very important and self-care. You know, what you've just said there for me is, is so important. Uh, after reading a book by um, uh, Scott Peck, The Road Less Traveled, I decided that I would go for therapy even when I was okay. Well and done. I started doing monthly therapies. Um, I have a therapist um, in Johannesburg and, you know, every month, you know, mm -hmm. I'll that's, check in. I haven't done it in awesome. a while since, since, yeah. since COVID. It, it's been a very important growth uh, strategy for me of knowing myself, mm -hmm. knowing my weaknesses, knowing my thinking patterns and how to counter those thinking patterns to exactly. present myself as a, as a, as, as a better person. Mm -hmm. Would you agree that we all need therapy? Exactly. I think so. We all need therapy. It's just that in our culture, people think uh, you only go to therapy when you failed or when you're in a crisis or some people actually think it's a white man's thing, you know, it's for white people. But I believe everybody should, you know, go, uh, go for therapy just to get tools. You know, actually, I, I want to say to the viewers at home out there that uh, I would really suggest quite strongly that we all go for therapy. Thank Particularly you. as the year starts like mm. this, Pamela, go and see a therapist and mm. say, I want to know myself. What are the tools? What should I be doing? So one of the things, not one of the things, my daily habits, because of the therapy that I've been receiving over the past 10, 15 years, yeah. I've gotten to a point where I have daily habits. And those habits are Bible reading every morning, prayer, meditation, and journaling. And that puts me in a very good space. Yeah, well Do it done. daily and it works. Yeah. What's, what's, your, what's your response to that? I totally agree with yeah. you. Uh, therapy gives you tools. Like you say, it, it helps you to be aware of your strength yeah. and your weaknesses. Like even just knowing your personality, we say there's no wrong or right personality. No. Every uh, personality has strength and weaknesses. So the idea when you're self-aware, you ride on your strength yeah. and you work on your weaknesses. Yeah. Yeah, the the we we're going to take a break. When we come back, please don't go away. We're going to drill down into that survey, which I thought I said we would would uh, talk about, but we ran out of time. The survey, the beautiful survey that you did, that comes up with results that um, really need make us sit up and say, what are we, what what should we be doing with our children, uh, who are the millennials and Gen Z? They are difficult kids, and then we're going to go into the high suicide rates, drug abuse, and mental wellness. So don't go away at home. We'll see you on the other side. Parents, I think we need to now learn new parenting skills that, you know, to be able to address 21st century problems. Greetings. My name is Trevor Nube, host of In Conversation with Trevor, Zimbabwe's most engaging conversational show. I go beyond the headlines and beyond the sensational. We've brought before your screens change makers from arts, business, and politics, and from the region. Please join our growing community of viewers. Subscribe, like, and share. Welcome back to our conversation with Pamela Marisa. 
a registered psychologist and registered counselor. You did a survey. I want you to help us unpack uh, the results. We're going to be sharing um, part, of your, part of your presentation. But I was struck by some of the findings, um, particularly around social media addiction. 77% of the people, of, of the young people that you, you surveyed, said they were addicted to social media. 21% mm. said they were addicted to social media a lot. 8% said they were extremely ad addicted to social media. And they, that has an impact on the, on the, on the young people. Yeah. So help us unpack the main findings so far of that survey, because it, it struck me as like, wow, we ought to be doing this so that we understand the issues that our young people are dealing with. Okay, yeah. Thank you, Trevor. So yes, um, those were some of the findings that our young people, and it was an anonymous survey, so we wanted the young people to, you know, to be vulnerable because it was an anonymous survey. And, and it's, it's true that, uh, you know, those results, uh, they're quite concerning. Mm. And they were quite honest, you know, that they are addicted to their gadgets, they are addicted, you know, to social media, and uh, it has a lot of uh, negative Im I impacts. I think that's why a lot of our young people are also struggling with issues of pornography. They're struggling with depression and anxiety because, you know, they're competing with people maybe that are not even posting things that are real. And, you know, so and they spend probably 80 percent of their time on their gadgets and which is actually in not healthy. Mm. Yeah. This generation, I mean, I was saying to, um, to somebody that uh, we give birth to this generation, but technology is raising this generation. Mm. And the, 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 the harmful effect of that manifests um, around emotional uh, wellness, uh, around uh, issues of uh, drug taking and so forth. Mm. And um, the, 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 the other thing that came out of that is, is you found issues around drugs. Um, they are they're playing around, they're experimenting with drugs. Do you want to talk to me, talk to us about that? Yes, I was actually surprised that, you know, because this survey was done for our youth in the church that, uh, you know, quite a significant number admitted that they've also experimented with vaping, you know, and some of them will openly tell you that it's happening even in the schools. Someone will offer you even, you know, in the bathroom, like, oh, do you want to try this? Mm. And, you know, it's happening. In, in in our schools and it's it's shocking and also the issue of drugs um so what we've discovered you know research has shown that most of our young people is when they are depressed because they don't have the tools to deal with their negative emotions they turn to drugs to try and numb the pain You're right so it's about also the intervention it has to come like to say, what is the cause? Why is it that our young people more and more they're turning to drugs? And I think it's because they're also easily available, mm. uh, maybe more than uh, than ever. But it's because maybe they have emotional pain and they don't have any other way or constructive way of dealing it with it. So they're trying to numb the pain. You know, one of your presentations uh, said that in 2021, 60% of psychiatric admissions were due to drug abuse. That, that's that's a shocking statistic, isn't it? Exactly. We're having a lot of those uh, drug-induced psychosis. You know, uh, hospitals, annex, uh, Ingucheni, it's mostly young people who are now, you know, have been abusing drugs, and now they're now having these uh, mental health issues. Some are even psychotic mm. because it's been induced, because there's no dosage and 
I don't know. It's it's just really, really out of uh, yeah, yeah, quite concerning. Mm. The, yeah. the the other thing that I, I also uh, picked up from your survey as you're unpacking it is that parents are not we are not equipped to deal with this young generation. Is that the sense? Talk to me about that bit. Definitely, definitely. I find, you know, I counsel a lot of teenagers and you find that parents, I think we need to now learn new parenting skills that, you know, to be able to address 21st century problems. Because I don't know, growing up, um, you know, I was born in the 70s, uh, you know, there was this thing like children should be seen and not heard. Mm. And I think parents are, are not being intentional or spending time, you know, with their children. One of the common complaints teenagers always say, like, my parents, they don't, you know, they don't listen to me or they are not available. And uh, I remember uh, this is a common thing after maybe the first session counseling, you know, a teenager. And when I asked the parent, well, what, how, how did your child find it? And most of them say, they say, Oh, finally, someone who understands me, you know, <laughs> because I'm just listening, I'm empathizing, I'm reflecting. And sometimes they just want to be heard because we came from a generation where you you did as you were told, you mm. know, there was no, you know, conversation. How do the kids come to you? Do the parents bring them to you or do the kids take their own initiative and, and look for a counselor? Most of the children actually are the ones who are bothering their parents that I need to see a therapist wow. because, you know, in our schools now they have life skills and they have school counselors. But sometimes the children are not comfortable uh, to see the, the counselor at school because of stigma. Mm. They don't want to be seen going to the school counselor. So uh, sometimes I'm referred, you know, they are referred to me by the school counselors or themselves. You know, they go to their parents to say, I'm not OK. I need to see to, to, uh, to see someone. Um, and our children, this, this generation Z, they are more self-aware. Mm. I think it's more to do with Maslow's hierarchy of needs. You know, we were being chased by bulldogs of poverty. So <laughs> we had we, to run. We, we, we had to make have, a plan. Yeah, we didn't have time to. You know, no one cared how you felt. You know, you suck it up and you get on. You know, we it. used to laugh when our 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 daughter was uh, six or whatever. When she started talking about you're hurting my feelings, <laughs> we, we would laugh. But uh, when when we started digging, that wow, okay, yeah. she's got feelings and they're being hurt. You know, exactly. what are we doing? The, the other thing, uh, Pamela, that uh, that struck me was that there's a, there was a question about do you feel loved by your parents? Two mm. percent of the 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 the, the um, young uh, people young people say they didn't feel loved at all, yeah. and not all of them felt. I mean, two percent felt they were not loved, mm. and there was a big percentage that felt, oh no, it 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 wasn't it wasn't right there. Talk to me about that and what that means. Yeah, I think it's unfortunate because maybe for our generation, if everything is provided, you know, you, you're going to school, I, you know, you've got... Fees are paid. You've got, What's uh, your problem? Your, your latest gadgets, you know, that shows that we love you, right? <laughs> but like I said, the young people, they're more self-aware. And so sometimes, I think as parents, we have to unlearn and, and, mm. and learn new, you know, new parenting skills. Because these children are in touch with our their emotions. Their emotions. And we are not because we're not socialized. I don't know about you, Trevor. In my generation, uh, you know, if you got into trouble and you got a beating, after a good beating, your parents would say, <laughs> Do you remember that? <laughs> oh, yes. My, my mother actually would, would be, she's late now, may, may help us so rest in peace. My mom would say, uh, after beating you, shut up. 
<laughs> Shut up! Stop crying, or I beat you. And she'll beat you for crying. Yeah. So th this is how this is the kind of tough uh, raising that we, yeah. we endured. But we can't administer that kind of raising to this generation. And and what were we socialized to do to suppress our emotions? Yeah. Don't so, cry. Don't cry, and it goes all in in marriage. And at funerals, uh, Trevor. I don't know if you've come across that in our culture, like. Mm. So we come from a culture where we're not, you know, we have been socialized to, to express, express our emotions. And but this is a different generation. They're in touch with emotions. Like you rightfully say, the grade one child will tell you, you hurt my feelings. You hurt my feelings. Because they're what in touch. <laughs> you but know, they do yeah, have feelings. Yeah, they do have feelings. Yeah. So we also have to learn, you know, mm. to 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 listen to our children, to learn, you know, what do they mean when they say you know, mm. you hurt my feelings because mm. we and are you not do in have touch. a course for for parents uh, yes. to to attend yes. for them to be equipped to deal with this new generation. Exactly, we we have to learn new parenting yeah. skills. So we do have like a ten week course that we run, uh, parenting um, a parenting course. Yeah, and uh, uh, and now that you talk about parenting, there's a book that I highly recommend every parent should have: Shepherding a Child's Heart mm. by Ted Tripp. Mm -hmm. I think every Parents should have that Shepherding book. Shepherding a, a child's, child's heart. Because most of the time says we focus on the behavior, you know, want to correct the behavior instead of, you know, dealing with the heart. Wonderful. The, the, the other thing that reading through the material that you shared is that statistics from Zetherapy indicate that between 2015 and 2019, 2,058 men committed suicide. Yeah. 505 women committed suicide. We're living in an environment where, because of uh, the politics and the economy, suicide rates are, are up. Talk to me about that. Yeah, it's very disturbing and very unfortunate because uh, those statistics are quite high. Um, but I think it's because people don't have solutions, you know. And most of the time when someone who's uh, depressed, if they don't get an intervention, Unfortunately, it results in suicide. So you'd find maybe 80% of people who commit suicide is because they have they are de they've been depressed mm. and um, there, there was no intervention. Um, and sometimes we're not even aware. I think we need to raise awareness on some of the early warning signs that someone, you know, could actually be contemplating suicide. Mm. You know, some people start giving away their, you know, their prized possessions or they're constantly talking about, you know, I wish... I was dead and we mm. think it's just rhetoric. Mm. So we need to actually be, you know, more intentional, pay attention, you know, to some of these things. Because when someone says that, sometimes we just dismiss them like, ah, they, they, they're being dramatic. Mm. No, mm. But actually it's a cry for help. And, and mental, uh, what signs should we be looking out for that uh, somebody's battling with mental wellness and, and depression? Okay, that's a very good uh, question, Trevor. So I think we, when you notice that, someone uh, has deviated maybe from their normal way of doing things. Maybe this person is a very bubbly person, but now they're just withdrawn. If it's a teenager, maybe they don't even you know want to go out anymore. Uh, they're sleeping all the time. Uh, maybe either extreme, maybe they're, they're, or they're not sleeping, or you know maybe um, overeating, you know, either extreme, mm. you know. So it's good to know your child so that you know when they're those uh, changes, you know, mm. to say, I think I've noticed that, you know, um, there are these changes. And that those changes uh, yeah. reflect something. Yeah. Um, one thing that you are, you mean you, I wonder how you manage to um, 
be available for all these things. You are the current president of uh, the Zimbabwe Psychological Association. You've been president since uh, 2022. Um, I was surprised that, um, I mean, I think somebody has shared this before, that um, we only have 151 registered psychologists in the country. Yeah. Which means one psychologist per every 100,000. How does that figure compare to the region? Um, I may not have figures for the region, yeah. but maybe for America, yeah. I think uh, there is maybe one psychologist to every 1,000 okay. people in the population. Probably UK, it's slightly almost the same, one psychologist to 1,500 people. Yeah. So I think there's a lot more work uh, that needs to be done, which is one of our objectives at ZPA to push the development of psychology in our nation, uh, even offering psychology as a subject even at, at all level, at A level. Is that happening? Or? Um, it's it's not yet happening. Okay. So it's something that we need to lobby yeah. for, for psychology to be introduced, you know, as a subject, even that can be, um, you know, uh, registrable even at all level, yeah. at all level, just to raise more awareness because I think that, that huge gap. Uh, that's so big. It's quite, it's 151 big. psychologists. I mean, that's, that's a, that's a shocking a drop number. in the ocean. Yeah. Tell me, what problems is the industry facing? What problems are you facing as psychologists? What challenges are you facing? I think maybe uh, in the past, uh, maybe there were the brain drain. Okay. You know, like when I did my master's community psychology, it wasn't initially. It wasn't because that's what I wanted to do. Mm -hmm. I actually wanted to do uh, probably counseling psychology, but you'd find that or even clinical psychology, those courses are not being offered at the universities because there's no one to, you know, to, to teach that. Because mm -hmm. if you're doing a master's, you have to have uh, someone who's, a, who's got a PhD lecturing you. So I think there was a huge brain drain. Okay. So for a long time, there were no master's uh, subjects, you know, being offered. Really? And you can't be registered as a psychologist if you haven't done your master's and then do your internship being supervised by these senior psychologists for a year, right. and then you sit for a board exam. So I think that also contributed. Okay. And But I'm glad that now we have eight universities now in Zimbabwe that are now uh, offering psychology as an undergrad mm -hmm. uh, uh, degree, which was not there previously. I think it used to be just the UZ. Yeah. 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 Wow. Quite quite a lot, lot of work to be, to be done there. Um, like I said when I started, the work that you're doing is so important. Um, nation building starts with the individual, then the family, the schools. Um, churches do a big role. I mean, um, and uh, uh, I just feel that we're expecting the nation to change without comp uh, without uh, the focus on growing the ind the, individu the individual. So. Well done for what you're doing and uh, continue doing the good work that you're doing. You know I'm not going to let you go before I ask you to share books. You've already shared two books. Do you want just to, to you know... Add another one and just remind us of the other uh, books okay. that, you, that you've mentioned. Um, so I would highly recommend people to read uh, Battlefield of the Mind mm -hmm. by Joyce Meyer. You know, from a Christian's perspective, she talks about how destructive thoughts patterns, you know, they shape your life. So, you know, it's a good book. She speaks from a Christian perspective. 
how to challenge your negative self-talk. You know, there's a scripture, I think in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, which says, bringing every thought captive, mm. you know, to the obedience of Christ. And then from a psychological perspective, there's a book called uh, Telling Yourself the Truth by William Backers. Mm-hmm. He's, he's also a psychologist, a Christian psychologist. Um, so he also talks about those, uh, he talks about misbelief therapy, that you don't have to just take at face value every thought that comes to your mind. You need to challenge it. You know, a person who commits suicide or maybe a person who's depressed, probably they've told themselves, nobody loves me. I'm useless. You know, um, no one cares if I'm not there. But maybe if somebody had spoken to them, is that really true? That no one cares for you. Is that really true that no one loves you? What about God? Mm. You know? So it's very important. And then another book, I think Gary Chapman, mm. Five Love Languages. Mm. You yeah. know, because I found that people tend to want to give love in their love language. Yes. But um without understanding what your partner's love language is. So you may think that you're giving them love, but maybe, you know, that's not their love language and they don't feel loved. It's like you're speaking Chinese and, you know, someone doesn't understand Chinese. Pamela, thank you so much for creating the time to come and and talk about uh, something which I think is very important. Like I said, I think I'm saying it for the third time. Nation building is very important, but nation building starts with each one of us, with each individual. And what you're doing with your, with the companies that you are, you are, you are involved in with your, with your husband is important because it focuses on the individual emotional wellness, it focuses on the marriages, it fo- focuses on the problems that society causes upon us and results in people, you know, um, using drugs to try and numb themselves from the problems that they're experiencing. So well done for what you're doing. 158 psychologists for 16 million people, clearly not enough. Mm-hmm. Because I believe, like I say, you know, that uh, each one of us needs to go for therapy. Each one of us. Very, I know people very, are looking at me and saying it's crazy. True. I totally but we agree. all need to go for therapy. We're all dealing with issues and we all don't know ourselves. Exactly. And, and therapy is about knowing yourself self-awareness, deeper, yeah. uh, self-awareness, so that you're able to grow as a person. So Pamela, thank you so much. Thank you. Um, thank, thank you for you. having me. Thank you so much. It's been a allow, pleasure. allow me to turn to our viewers who are at home, uh, at uh, all over the world. We thank you for watching in conversation with Trevor. Remember, we are a weekly show. We are out on YouTube at 7 a.m. Central African time. To ensure that you don't miss out on any of these conversations, I invite you to subscribe, and then you will receive a notification every time we have one of these quality conversations. We have gone a step further and created a website where all our conversations sit. On that website, we do have podcasts for your listening pleasure. So scroll down below this video and go to the podcast place uh, and click onto the podcast for your listening pleasure. We see your comments. We see your suggestions. Keep them coming. Thank you for watching. Until next time, cheers to you all.